I I mean, I think Brendan Fraser is the heavy favorite to win. Are you doing a pun? No. Oh, God, no. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No. I think I just got the podcast canceled. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. With me again this week is Keith Foster from San Diego, California. And you are Cassidy Robinson. You are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Entering February. This is the shortest month of the year. Mm -hmm. So this will be the shortest podcast of the year. That's a lie. It's a lie from hell. I know. I just wanted fact, to... now I'm going to make this the longest episode. I was more just kind of wish casting. Uh, this episode we're going to be talking about Infinity Pool, Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. Not David Cronenberg, his son Brandon Cronenberg, which was released yeah. in theaters a little while ago. And... It's comforting to know his children turned out all right. Well, some could say. (laughs) Some could (laughs) say. (laughs) We'll talk about that more. And at the end of the podcast for the streaming homework, we'll be talking about the 2011 psychological thriller Take Shelter, which we watched on Hulu. So between the episodes, uh, they released the nominations for the films of 2022 for the program of 2023. But I just kind of wanted to go over the the categories and, you know, talk about... That's right. Let's talk about the the heat that is coming to documentary short this year. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The category everyone cares about. uh, There was a theater in Orange County... That would show all of the shorts on specific days. Like you could pay like one movie price to go see all the doc shorts mm-hmm. or go see all the animated shorts. And it was really nice. I actually wish more theaters did that broadly. Yeah, there was a uh, a little art house theater here that they they were a cool theater. They would do like they were like the only theater that would do like midnight shows and, you know, they would do like. Just all the cool stuff that a small little art house theater will do. And they would show the Oscar shorts. And we used to make it a habit of going to see the animated shorts when they did those. It was fun. Uh, okay, so let's just go through it. Uh, the, the major categories here. We'll start with Best Picture. It's a big one sometimes. You know, I we, we've talked about how... There's a maximum threshold of, I think, 11 or 12 and a minimum of five. And it can waver between that. I've, I seem to remember there was years of nine or something like that. But the Best Picture nominations this year, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is the second remake of it. 
Okay. Uh, it was originally a this film. is the Netflix one, right? Yeah, this is the most recent one. Um, there was one that was made in the 30s. There's one I think that was made in the 70s or 80s, which I've seen. And then there's now this one. Avatar, The Way of the Water. I actually was not sure this was going to happen. If it, if it hadn't broke all the records, I don't think it would have happened. I think they were kind of waiting to see... It, does it just do your average Marvel numbers, or is it going to go the distance? Which, surprisingly, it has. Um, the Banshees of Inishirin, which are on both of our best of year, year of lists. Elvis. Uh, okay. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which I uh-huh. believe won Best Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes. Okay. Uh, but All it's right. won a lot I of, mean, like, the... Critics Awards, you know, the various cities' Critics Awards and stuff like that. So it's yeah, been that's... a major player for a while. Yeah. Uh, the Fablemans. Okay. Tar. Sure, that makes sense. Top Gun Maverick. All right, good for Top Gun Maverick. Triangle of Sadness, which is a movie I... What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> I literally never... What the fuck is this movie? Uh, uh, you know, probably had a release at the very end of December, or whatever. Uh, ha- probably had a very small theatrical run because, or, or it could be a good movie that deserves it. I heard about the movie first think- because uh, uh, Criterion announced their release of it. I think it's going to be in March or something like that. Um, Here's the thing: I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's it's probably good. It's, you know, it's, it's probably fine. It might even be great. I don't know. My point is nobody's seen it and nobody's heard of it. And I think the Oscars need to accept what they are uh, a little bit. And they need, they need to find this line between populist movies and, and art house bullshit that nobody's seen. You mean populist movies like Avatar, The Way of the Water, Elvis, The Fablemans, and Top Gun? This is a very populist, yeah. heavy year. It, it is. And I actually, I I think that this year I am way less angry than I usually am. Um, normally I'm just like completely fuck the Oscars this year. I'm actually like, Oh, okay. There's actually some good movies that people saw in here. Um, <laughs> you're being silly. And, you know, what, again, you know what you're being, you're being the parasite guy right now. I like the angry video game nerd who got mad that parasite won instead of Joker. You're being that. No, guy I right was now. actually very happy that parasite won. People I know. saw parasite. I'm just saying you're being that guy right now. No, I'm not. I, the last what? nominee, yeah. the last nominee is in best picture category. We're still not done. Is uh, Women Talking, which is the new Sarah Polly film, which I have not seen yet. At least I had heard of this one. Um, although I, again, I, I think this was probably one that was like the release was snuck in so it could win awards. But uh, mm, sure, I mean, whatever. she's a lauded director. Um, it's about yeah. I, I have suffrage no pro- has I have a no stacked with cast. One. Yeah. I'm not yeah, surprised. I, by I that. have no issue with this one. I generally don't like that practice of we're going to release it for one week at the end of December, but it's actually a January movie. I think that's dumb. Uh, I've I've at least seen trailers for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, sure, it makes sense. 
Um, it was kind obviously a limited release, but that's going to be the case a lot of the time. Sure. That's our best picture category. Uh, like I said, very stacked. As far as surprises go, I'm surprised Elvis was nominated. Uh, to me, that's, I think that's an actor's award, not a, uh, maybe even a director's award if they wanted to get really crazy with it. But I think, um, sure. Best Picture's a little, little, kind of a stretch. All Quiet on the Western Front, mostly because it's a streamer, but I guess it's, you know, last year Coda won. That was an Apple movie that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's getting more and more common. I, I, I you know, I think we're, we've entered the phase where it's not surprising for streamers anymore. You know, I, th- mm-hmm. I feel like that barrier has been pretty well broken. Yeah, and I remember, um, was it last year, maybe the last few years, streamers were heavily favored, and maybe it was just because of COVID times, uh, probably yeah, very sure much because of that. But this year, yeah. most of these were in theaters, and yeah, exclusively. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Okay, uh, best actor? Uh, I guess we should guess, since... That's what people want to know. Um, what do you think will win Best Picture? I'm hoping everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, I, I'm also I'm hoping that, and I think it does have a pretty good shot. Um, uh, my dark horse is the Banshees of Inisherin. That would be a very dark horse. That'd be a that would be a Black Beauty. Um, yeah, uh, either of those, I'd be happy. And you know what? Fuck it. Uh, if Top Gun Maverick. My pitch black horse of Top Gun Maverick. I actually don't think that's as as inconceivable as you think, given that the most voters will have probably seen that movie. I think, I think everything, everywhere, or the Fablemans, personally. Okay, yeah, and I, I would put, I would be I would put my dark horse on Tar. Okay. All right. I'd be a little disappointed uh, if the Fablemans won, but... um, I mean, I think Spielberg's made better movies, but he hasn't in a while. And it kind of, you know, uh, checks all of the stuff that people like. Especially the... I mean, it is a movie about movies, and the Academy cannot get their boners down for those, so... Right. Okay, best actor, uh, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for okay. The Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, uh, Paul yeah. Maskell for After Sun, and who? Uh, Bill Nighy for Living. Okay, the last two I have, again, not heard of. After Sun uh, was actually one that I thought was going to pop up in the best picture category. I would have expected to see After Sun more than All Quiet on the Western Front or or Triangles of Sadness or or even Tar uh, to pop up, but it it uh, mostly it's getting its accolades in acting categories. Um, okay. Again, I haven't heard of it. I I mean, I think Brendan Fraser is the heavy favorite to win. Are you doing a pun? No. Oh, God, no. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, fuck. I think I just got the podcast canceled. I <laughs> Jesus. 
I, Brendan Fraser, yeah, maybe. I actually think this is going to Austin Butler, especially because it was nominated for Best Picture. Oh, I I don't know. I think this I, again, will be just, the, the Elvis Award the, and everything else it's nominated for will, will not go to it. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And he won at the Golden Globes, which don't necessarily mean anything, but... Have you seen the thing? I just know that Austin Butler's still that, doing the Elvis voice, like after, like might post just be his voice. No, no, he's from Orange County, and he was like a Disney star and stuff. You can find old interviews of him just talking like a normal California kid. But ever since he's been doing uh, press for Elvis, he's still doing like the Memphis accent Elvis voice. Yeah, that might just be his thing now. Like, do you think Ryan Reynolds, or not Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling always sounded like that? I don't think so. I think it's just his uh, persona now. Uh, It's it's something. It's a choice. All right. Uh, Best Actress category, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Ana de Armas for Blonde. A very controversial movie, which I I meant to see and never did. Andrea Riceborough for Two Leslie, which there's like a whole bunch of lore about that, uh, which I tried to get to the bottom of. And I just kept going deeper and deeper into articles, trying to find why the Academy like had to do an investigation into her nomination. Like, I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere. I think uh, Michelle Yeoh is going to win for Everything Everywhere. And I was about to say if, if she does, then that means it won't win Best Picture. But actually, I kind of feel like if it might even be the opposite. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think... I don't know. I think... Uh, yeah, again, she's kind of my favorite to win. Um, and, and unlike... Uh, I, I, I mean, I obviously, that's what I want to happen. But I, I, I think that's also what is going to happen. I also, I mean, I didn't see a lot of these other movies. The only other one I saw was uh, The Fablemans. And Michelle Williams is, is you know, she's great in it. Um, yeah. I just think there's still so much buzz around everything everywhere all at once. And the fact that it came out so early last year, to me, that's a heavy indicator that, like, it's going to rack some awards up. I mean, hopefully, yes. Um, I could also see it going to Cape Blanchett. Now, the Andrea Riceboro yeah, thing. Um, okay. So, as far as I can tell, what happened was uh, there was a few other movies that could have gone in this category. Um, uh, Woman King and a few others. A few other leads. Um, that were more yeah. expected, that were like doing like traditional um, nomination campaigns. Yeah, and it's kind of strange to me that the Woman King got totally snubbed. Well, Which I actually saw that one. There's reason. There's other kind of reasons about that as well. But what I had read was that the way Andrea Riceborough got in here. Because she did this movie, To Leslie, which actually reading the plot description sounds really interesting. Sounds like a movie I'd want to see. And I, I really like Andrea Riceboro. Um, yeah, she's a great actress. Um, but she she did this small indie that premiered at South by Southwest. 
And it got a lot of buzz out of that festival, um, which is in the summer, like early summer, right? So mm-hmm. the odds that this this, you know, tiny movie from a summer festival. South by Southwest is generally not considered like one of the serious festivals. Like it's more sort of geared towards fans and like beer tent folk. Um sure. Uh, But Uh they show again, your condescension is why people hate the Oscars, but that's fine. I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying there's a certain kind of movie that plays there and they don't usually go to the Oscars. There's usually it'll be stuff like Cabin in the Woods that premieres there. Right. But this is actually like a little drama or whatever, I guess. And I don't know the rules of how Oscar campaigns are supposed to go, but I guess the way is that she got nominated is, is a bunch of her friends in the industry, uh, actors and such, did like this big social media push to okay. to calling on all their friends to to write her in, and she got in there. Now, as far as I can tell, that's as valid as any way to get nominated. Like as long as you, yeah, get, it's and like- and that's ultimately what the Academy decided. But there was. There was an effort to, like, rescind the nomination because they thought it was, like, not the the proper channels to go uh, through. That's, something. Uh, I know. That, I mean, so at, th- we're talking about after they've announced it. The, like, they there was, like, a week where they were like, well, we might have to look into this. And then a bunch of people were, like, clamoring online, like, the fuck you will. She's nominated. Like you're not yeah, gonna just take it away now, so they might have buckled under pressure. But yeah, um, but anyway, I actually kind of want to see too, Leslie, because when I read the the uh, logline to it, it sounded interesting, and I like Andrea Riceboro. Um, okay, best supporting actor or actress: uh, Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chao for The Whale. So another one for The Whale. Um, I love her, by the way. She was so good in the menu. Yeah, she's she's amazing in everything she's in. She's yeah. incredible. She's a great character actor. Uh, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inisherin. That's a great performance. <clears throat> this is actually a really strong category. Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is such a stacked category yeah. I, I like i literally will be happy it, whoever wins and yeah. that never happens with the oscars i i think every <laughs> one of these performances absolutely deserves it i mean I, I didn't see the whale or wakanda forever um i know people Spoilers, like Spoilers Angela Bassett's like the best thing in that movie okay uh, between right. her her and Namor um and uh yeah Hong Chao is great in the whale like yeah i mean that whole movie is like you can tell it's based on a play um it's so actorly mm-hmm. that yeah it, it it kind of hinges on you know brendan fraser's performance and hong chow's performance like she's kind of the other main lead um it, like she could have been nominated for best actress i think but uh but ultimately i can see how it's a supporting role. Um, well, and also, yeah, they it, might want to put her in this category where she has more of a shot to win. 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> again, looking yeah. at the rest of this lineup, yeah, uh, it actually seems like this one is the stiffer competition. To yeah, me. I really can't. Um, I can't even call this one. Uh, I, I yeah. If I were voting, I would vote for just you know for for fun. I would vote for Carrie Condon because I think she's the heart and soul of that movie. Um, and okay, I, yeah, I. Ooh, th- this one's tough. Uh, I but I would also, like... I would, I'm gonna, I'm leaning towards Jamie Lee Curtis or Angela Bassett for this award. As far as, you know, if I were betting on it, but um, I would mm-hmm. personally vote for Carrie Condon. This is one of those ones that, for me, it would just depend on the day that I voted. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's it's so hard. Uh, I I don't even know that I can pick one. I, I might do. Stephanie Sue, I don't know. Her role is very man. important in that movie, and also it's a it's a tricky role because she's doing like multiple versions of 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 herself as a villain and as as a daughter and da da da. Yeah. But it's a lot to actually. I get why both of them are nominated, both Jimmy Lee Curtis and her. Um, I think she's a little too new on the scene. Like if the average. Might producer is going to look at the ballot and go, I don't know which one that was, uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Yeah, I and I I think that might be partially why I would give her my vote. Yeah, um, but I yeah I think the safer bet is probably um, more of the the career Oscar for Jimmy Lee Curtis or Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. All right, best supporting actor. Brendan Gleeson for the Banshees of Inisherin, which honestly he's just as much of a lead as yeah. I mean it's a two person show. I mean yeah. Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. I I don't know what that is. I know who Brian uh, Tyree Henry see is. Causeway, but, but I love him. So yeah. Judd Hirsch for the Fablemans. He's only in what five minutes of that movie, but he makes an impact. Yeah, I think um. Seth Rogen should have got this. But, I actually um, do too. I would I would call that a snub even. Yeah, I th- I think it is one of the more understated performances I've seen from Seth Rogen and just very nuanced in a way that he's not normally prone to and the whole movie kind of hinges on that relationship and I I think they they play kind of every angle at it. I, although Judd Hirsch is great. Yeah, um, it, it is such a short scene that um, I don't know. Right, he's sort of a catalyst character in that movie. Um, Barry Cogan in the Banshees of Midnight Sheeran—that's a little surprising. Um, it's surprising, but again, a great performance. And I—it's uh, the only I think Barry Cogan role I've seen where he's not a total fucking creep. He's it's it's in his wheelhouse though. It's it's like he's just turning down the dial barely. Yeah, I I I mean he I does wouldn't some call creepy him, things. I wouldn't call him but, a creep, but I would say that he's generally off putting. <laughs> sure. I mean yes. In a way that yeah. is beneficial to the movie. Um yes, yeah. and K. Kwan for everything everywhere all at once, which I mean I would love for to see that happen. I think just for a great Oscar moment, you know, the yeah. theater would explode. 
He would give an adorable speech. Well, I, did you see the thing that was like, you know, uh, Kehu Kwan and Brendan Fraser having like a, a competition of like who's the most lovable actor right now that people just <laughs> want to see succeed? And yeah. you know, I I don't I don't know if if Hollywood could handle them both winning, both um, both think, in in Sino Man as well. Huh. I think that might have been Kehu Kwan's like last really big acting role, but when before he uh, stopped doing. Uh, movies. Huh. Well, I mean, he didn't stop doing. He just transitioned more to like uh, stunt choreography, and, right? And behind, behind the, the camera stuff. stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I honestly um, don't know who's gonna get get this one. I want it. I want Kehu Kwan. Um. Uh, it could go to Brendan Gleeson. It could go to Judd Hirsch. I. It's kind of another one. It's anyone's game. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, again, the only one I didn't see was Causeway. Um, yeah, but any one of these, I'm, I, will be perfectly happy for whoever wins. Mm-hmm. In my heart of hearts, I'm rooting for Kehu Kwan. Uh, best director, we have Todd Field for Tar, uh, the Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for the Banish- the Banshees of Inisherin. Ruben Ostland for Triangles of Sadness, your favorite movie of the year. Come on. And uh, Steven Spielberg you, for The Fablemans. I mean, I guess it's it's not as uncommon as it used to be where the director and the picture split. There used to be a point in time where if the director won, that kind of tells you who's going to win Best Picture. That's not necessarily the case anymore. I think that will be the case this year. Um, I, if I just based off of the hype that I've heard, and granted, I don't read nearly as much stuff as like you do, um, but based on what I've heard, I would not be surprised if Todd Field wins for Tar for Best Director, and yeah. Everything Everywhere All Once wins for Best Picture. I was going to say the exact same thing. That's kind of my early prediction here. So. I would say that's where exactly where I'd put my money. Um, I would love to see the Daniels win Best Picture uh, or Best Director. That would be great. But I think they they're just so new on the scene, and they're also they they come from like the world of like music video advertisement, comedy shorts, like you know, animation stuff like that. So yeah, I, I feel just, like they. I, I think uh, I, I think they're too outside. And yeah. they're too, too kind of new to the industry to to really. It'd be like Tim uh, and Eric winning Best Director on their second film. Exactly, which would be <laughs> amazing. But, right. Um, yeah, I just I I kind of don't see it. I could also see them doing the same thing for Spielberg and and giving the Fablemans the big award here. Right. Just kind of splitting and, the difference and not disappointing yeah. anybody and just kind of going with the safe choice. I, I absolutely think that's what will happen. Um, yeah, well, and the Whether thing it's... is, Todd Field uh, doesn't make movies very often. This is his third film in the 25 years he's been making movies. Like, the last movie he made came out in, what, 2006? He released The Little Children. And so I, I, I honestly don't really know anything about him. I'm just judging this off of the hype I've heard behind Tar. Right. So Todd Field was an actor. 
You may remember him as a piano player from Eyes Wide Shut, or he was one of the tornado chasers in Twister. And then he started making his own movies. He made the movie In the Bedroom uh, with Sissy Spacek, which is fan-fucking-tastic. And then three or so years later, three or four years later, he made Little Children with uh, Patrick Wilson, um, uh, which is also really good. And then he hasn't made anything since. So everyone was always just kind of waiting on bated breath for him to make another movie. And then he just did this one this year. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I, that's kind of how I feel like it's going to go as well. Um, okay. Original screenplay. Martin McDonough for the Banshees of Inishirin. The Daniels for Everything Everywhere. Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans. Todd Field for Tar. And Ruben Oslin for the Triangles of Sadness. Um, I, I I think this is between the Banshees of Inishir and, and the Fablemans, personally. Yeah, they they love Tony Kushner over there. And they love Steven Spielberg. Right. It would make sense for it to get this and not get any of the other kind of big awards. I, I, think, I think a lot of these big awards are going to be kind of split, and you're going to... You're not going to see one kind of dominate them uh, the way it can happen. Right. A lot of times, though, the original screenplay award is like the let's give it to the the weird subversive movie that that shouldn't have or not shouldn't is and shouldn't be allowed. But how did it slip in there? You know, it. it it could be very easily that this is the only big award that everything everywhere all at once gets and everything like this and Michelle Yeoh or something like that. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it could end up being that kind of night and didn't McDonald win for, he was, I know he was nominated for Imbruge and I didn't he win for three billboards. Uh, he was certainly nominated. I, I, I believe you're right. I, I, he won, they, that movie won some stuff, didn't it? Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Did it win Best Picture? It didn't win Best Picture, no. It was nominated. Though, it was nominated, sure. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm kind of feeling like it's probably going to go to the Fablemans. Without having seen Tar, I, I don't know how screenplay heavy it is. Yeah. Um... Everything Everywhere, for as good as it is, I would not say is really a screenplay movie. I agree. That's why I'm. I tend to. I, I'm kind of leaning towards winning Best Picture or Best Director. Probably I, again. I I think it's going to be Best Picture. Um. Uh. But I, I agree with you. Um. Also, just so the listeners at home understand, I am always very wrong with my <laughs> predictions because uh, I tend to vote with my heart. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, adapted screenplay. We have Edward Berger, Ian Stokel, and Leslie Patterson for All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion. That's a surprise. Why is that adapted? adapted? I guess it's because it's a sequel. Is that the rule? Sequels are a debt. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird, yeah. Kazu Ishiguro for Living. Enrin Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie, and Peter Craig, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, And again, a sequel. 
and Sarah Polly for women talking. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe this will be the one that Top Gun gets. I I don't know. I really don't know this. Could be. I feel like Top Gun's going to be more of a of a technical category kind of achiever. Well, um, I got uh, it and. Batman and Nope all got snubbed for cinematography. Yeah. So that I'm actually pretty surprised that didn't get nominated for cinematography. I'm just going to throw a dart and say Sarah Polly for Women Talking, but I really don't know on this category. Yeah. I real I don't think okay. Ryan Johnson's going to win. Yeah, I I would be pretty surprised if that happened as well. It, yeah, uh, I would be I liked that movie. And I would like to see him win an award at some point in his life. Um, is it going to be for this movie? I don't think so. Only mostly because the movie sort of pokes fun at the exact people be voting. Yeah. All right. Animated feature: uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots Part Two, The Last Wish, uh, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. I mean, this, this is, is usually those, ends up like, becoming the Pixar award, right? So if you go by tradition, it would be turning red. Well, no, I was going to say, this is know. one of those years that I actually think it's not going to go to a Disney movie. Usually the, the category seems sort of really heavily loaded for Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think turning red was that big for them. I, I enjoyed that movie, but I just don't see it being a major like awards player I right because did, it didn't even go to theaters or not i mean i, I guess it must have right i don't know i don't know i guess so yeah. i would say to me this is probably between guillermo del toro's pinocchio and uh i've heard i've heard a lot of hype behind marcel the shell with shoes on so yeah i, I, I would say those are the, kind of the two favorites for me i know people really liked marcel I don't think it's going to win. I think that's a little too niche for this category. Um, yeah, maybe. I feel like that's a movie more people said they saw than actually saw. I actually think just because of recency bias, it could end up going to Puss in Boots. Yeah. And I've heard I've heard good things about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. When I, I don't know that what the Sea Beast is. That, that one doesn't sound familiar yeah i'm just gonna talk about cinematography and we'll move on from this from this segment but all quiet on the western front uh james friend um darius kanji for bardo the false chronicle of a handful of truths jesus christ <laughs> i like darius kanji a lot he works with uh he works with fincher a lot um mandy walker for elvis Roger Deakins for Empire of Light. Uh, that was a movie that was they made for Oscars, and it just did not happen for it. Um, and uh, Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Yeah, I I can't really say. Um, part of me says Elvis, but I think I'm just saying that because it's the only one I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I agree. I don't have a take on this. And it's the I biggest movie of the year. Uh, of this category, as far as moneymaker goes, it could go to Tar again. I mean, I wouldn't rule out All Quiet on the Western Front. War, yeah, a big war movie, right? Like, I can see how it would have see how it would have very impressive cinematography. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, I just I I'm think- actually very surprised that I mean, you said who did Nope? That was what's his name who works with who works with uh Christopher Nolan. Not Wally yeah, Pfister, but uh, the guy who took over after Pfister stopped. Um, let's just see real quick. Uh, either way, I think he was snubbed. Hoyt Van Hoytima? Yeah. Um, so, surprised that didn't get nominated a little bit. Although that movie was fairly divisive, so it doesn't surprise me that much. Um, yeah, sure, I do think the, the cinematography... cinematography was- right. The cinematography for the Batman was, uh... Definitely a standout aspect of it. Very Darius Kanji esque, actually. And uh, I would actually say the cinematographer, who I don't have in front of me, but the cinematographer for um, Banshees of Inisherin, I would have, I would have nominated. Yeah, yeah, it made. Yeah, I mean, it really captures the Irish countryside and like makes you feel like you're there. Well, it's uh, so important, that's, that's too, because that movie's basically a talky character study yeah. with hardly any characters in it. You know, I mean, there's no action to be had. So everything that makes that movie cinematic, it's entirely on the shoulders of the cinematography. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, otherwise, you could uh, shoot that movie you know, on a small black box theater. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm going to say also, I think for me, uh, one that I'm going to throw out for cinematography that I feel like was kind of snubbed this year was um, RRR. I think it would have been cool to see that pick up some some nominations. It did get nominated for Best Song, mm-hmm. um, Original Song, uh, but... You know, I think it could have easily been nominated for cinematography. I think it should have been nominated for Best Picture over Triangle of Sadness. I'm sorry. Well, I'm even more surprisingly wasn't nominated for International Feature, but it, I might have uh, missed the cutoff date for that because the, the, each country has to like submit their their entry into the American Oscars at a certain point, and maybe the whatever campaign was building around RRR in maybe India already submitted something at, by that point, uh, who knows, but, um, uh, it was not nominated for international feature. Yeah. Um, it could win best song. Kind of a bummer, I would love to see if when they broadcast the Oscars, what, if they decide to do uh, a number for each nominated songs, I'd love to see RRRs, whatever they come up with. Cause you know, that's going to be like some crazy ass, oh. like Eurovision yeah. style stage antics. Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our reviews. And we will start by talking about Brandon Cronenberg's, uh, infinity pool. And do you want to sum that up? Sure. Our review of Infinity Pool might include plot elements that could be considered spoilers. Please, you know, listen at your own discretion. Alexander Skarsgård is playing this struggling writer, James Foster, uh, who is on a vacation with his wife, played by Cleopatra Coleman. And they are visiting this 
small uh, made-up island called Latolka. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're there, he stumbles across uh, Mia Goth and her husband, who is a fan of his and uh, really enjoyed his debut novel and is get you know seems like she wants to get to know him. Um, they decide to make an excursion off of this resort area where they're staying, e- even though it seems like, you know, this might not be the best idea because uh, the areas outside of the like designated resort compounds are very low income, uh, very high on crime, especially when it comes to, you know, like tourists. They decide against maybe their better judgment, go on this like day trip excursion to this beach outside of the resort area. On their way back, Alexander Skarsgård uh, accidentally <laughs> uh, murders someone um, in a in a car accident, where he later uh, detained by the police and given this option, uh, where any crime is on this island is punishable by death. Uh, however, he has the option of getting cloned. And the clone can suffer the death sentence for him. Um, this seems to ignite some kind of primal instinct inside of him. Uh, and then hilarity ensues. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if the clone thing is a uh, spoiler. I would almost say it is. I don't think it is. I is that in the trailer? I, I, mean, I never saw the trailer, but... They they mention it in one of the trailers. I don't know. I think that's kind of the whole premise of the movie. Like, right? I mean, it's definitely the crux of the of the tension of the film, and it's certainly you know the high concept aspect of it. Um, but I didn't know that going in. So when we entered that space into the film, because you know up to that point. It's definitely a lot more grounded, and you know it's sure. kind of I mean, leading to something. Yes. And there's there's aspects of these characters and sort of ambiguities that they're playing on, and anxieties in in uh, uh, the Skarsgård character. You know, he's this like tortured creative who feels like his best work is already behind him, and he's trying to you know come up with a follow up and everything. Yeah, so when it when it gets to that point, the movie I think very intentionally becomes less and less objective and a lot more and more subjective into the kaleidoscopic wild nature of the premise and starts to run more on like dream logic or in this case nightmare logic and the the way the tension kind of ratchets up with these characters and the the way that they reveal themselves sort of has its elements in stuff we've seen in David Cronenberg's work. You know, I mean, I certainly am thinking of movies like Videodrome, where, you know, reality starts to fracture for the main character. 
and sure. que- questions of identity and that kind of stuff, uh, as well as his his uh, adaptation of Naked Lunch, um, and to a certain extent, uh, even something like A History of Violence, which, while it never totally goes into the, the these kind of science fiction territories, it does play heavily on this idea of who are we really? And w- in the case of the Skarsgård character, who's very much kind of a blank slate in this movie, um, especially initially, they, they, they sort of peel him at, like an onion. Like every time he c- goes through this, through this procedure, um, uh, and he learns more and more about these characters that are involved with him or these, you know, this, this sort of weird, uh, tourist exploitation. There's like another layer that gets removed from his very manicured personality to the point sure, yeah. where by the end of the movie, you're not sure which side's up, which side's down, and who who is he really, or is there even an anything there? It's, it's like all he is is his collection of, you know, what you can fit in a CV or a LinkedIn profile. Is there a there there? Is that the reason why you can't create again? Um, I think there's a lot to do with, this movie is very interested in this idea of like the creative process and sort of like the deconstruction of your mind yourself to be able to dig deep into overcoming those anxieties of creating something of value again. If you're afraid you, you might also, not have anything. Uh, again, like uh, David Cronenberg, this movie is also very obsessed with class and classism. You know, I, Alexander Skarsgård character married into money mm-hmm. and uh you know so he yeah at a posh resort like this he already has this kind of otherness about him um and you know it also this movie is not subtle about its commenting on the tourism industry especially you know rich resort tourism that can decimate local populations uh, just uh, uh, to create this illusion of paradise for a certain demographic. Uh, you know, it all comes down to if you can pay for it. And that right. part of this doubling process is the economics of it. Like, only, you know, only the rich can afford to have their executions stayed. And so it, it kind of gives them this license to behave any way they want to, you know, to it, it's partially um, some purge logic going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that I do think that that's there. Um, I think that's certainly an element. And I think that that's I feel like there's a little bit of a bait and switch with that specific line of logic though i feel like that only carries you so far into it before the movie it doesn't drop it entirely i mean it's still 
in the backdrop or in the which, subtext uh, which, of which part are you talking about the purge logic or the um the tourism stuff because i would say the tourism issue is pretty on the nose i mean it's i would say know, reading it as a condemnation of class entirely is almost reductive and i i do think there's elements of that specifically in the idea that you know you're able to pay off all your bad behavior um that is yeah i don't think those exchanges of money is a pretty big sticking point for the movie i think that that's a vehicle for a lot of the other points but i think that the movie's ultimately more interested in this existential thing or or maybe maybe i get more out of it than I that. mean, I I don't disagree. Whereas, I think like a that movie like also there, like you know, th- there's there was this point where it's like you know, there's this philosophical uh, question being asked of who who is even the real version? Does it matter? You right. know, if you're clone and your clone has all your memories, would you even be able to tell the difference? Right. That is all also there. Like I think they are. I think they are uh, both concepts are kind of intertwined uh, very heavily in this movie. And I, I think also this idea of identity when you're away from home, this movie is making a point of like when you aren't where you normally are, where you normally thrive, you are not the same person. And it's very easy to, to leave that person behind, you know, sort of the, uh, right whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of thing. Right, to the to the nth degree, to the point where I think the movie's asking this larger question of, is there any such thing as personal identity or personal set of values or morals, or is it all a social construct or a social contract? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think all of these things are, are working together. I think they're all, and I think, I think they're all kind of telling this same story. And I think there's an element here. I mean, obviously, there's some gruesome stuff. So there is. I would. I would not call this a body horror film in like the same way you would call something like, you know, the average Cronenberg film or or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think if if it was body horror, it would have. You would get a lot more out of the actual duplication process. Like you know, like sure, um, yeah. There's. There's some grotesque imagery, um, but it's it's not the same as a as a David Cronenberg sort of body horror. Yeah, um, I mean, there's some yeah. shock. It, there's some shock for sure, and there, there's there's horrific elements, and clearly it's kind of playing on like th- the th- thriller like tension. But I almost kind of read this as more of sort of a like psycho noir. Yeah, I I agree. It feels it feels almost kind of like something like Philip K. Dick would have wrote. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I get that. It, it's yeah, oh. and it, it has this sort of sci-fi quality, but those aspects are never addressed. It's they're just sort of taken at face value. Right. It, it's it's not it's not uh, science fiction in the sense that. There's no jargon or yeah. There's ex- no fake exposition. science behind the clone. Yeah, like, they don't. It's more of almost kind of a 
I don't know, Kafka-esque, and to sound as pretentious as possible. It, well, it's, it's fable-like. That's not what it's interested in. It's not interested yeah. in... It's not interested in the the process. It's interested in the result, right? Like it, we can, cl- you can double people, you can clone people. Like it right. doesn't spend any time questioning that or trying to explain it. It's just like it's oh, taken okay. at face value. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and, and that's why, uh, be- to a certain extent, the movie almost kind of feels dreamlike. I mean, there's, there's, you know, this isn't an actual island. This isn't an actual government. There's you know, this isn't actual science. It's all just this, this kind of diving deeper and deeper into this uh, mind-melding uh, narrative. Well, and I, yeah, and I could, I'm sure there will be, I, I'm sure there will be like YouTube essays and stuff making the case that everything after the, the you know, excursion to the beach, everything after the accident is all just in his head. Like it easily yeah. could be that as well. You could read it that way. I yeah, I I, I don't think the movie's trying no, to I, be I, as literal as that, but I think the again, the movie's kind of not actually really interested in that. Yeah. That's like ask um, that's like asking like, you know, in the case of the metamorphosis, like well, why does he turn into a bug? Like what's the exactly. science? There? I think in general <laughs> also also I I, I'm kind of making fun of those kind of video essays. I hate the whole it yeah. was a dream or it was all in his head all along yeah. kind of theories. Right. Those like those like 45 minute videos of Shelley Duvall's characters, actually the bad guy in The Shining or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. sure. So I really liked the story of this movie. I like the philosophical argument of this movie. I like the the acting is incredible like alexander skarsgård is just i think getting better and better uh mia goth is incredible as always um i did have one pretty big nitpick with this movie though okay uh i fucking hated the cinematography of this movie really i actually thought that was a standout no like to the point where it I found it so obnoxious and heavy-handed and just I like annoying. Like I was actively annoyed at how much this movie was drawing attention to the cinematography and it was driving me nuts. Like like actively bothering me. Also most of this movie it, it spends most of the time either on these like super close-ups of of the characters' faces, mm-hmm. um, and everything is never like fully framed up in a way that is pleasing. And I get that it's intentional, but it really bothered me. Yeah, I mean, I thought that. Um, I thought that that mostly worked for me. There's, there's a couple times when it's a little on the nose, like at the beginning of the film when they're driving and everything, the, the, the skyline turns upside down. It's like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, we're, I, I think we're supposed to be disoriented. Movie, um, yeah, I, I but think, I, it, but like the, um, the orgy scenes and stuff, the way they're kind of sure. like, Gauzy and, I, I and stroby, that, I thought was really interesting. I I love the actual like when the the interrogation scenes, 
the way they're framed up, I thought looked really nice and like the the horror. I think there was are striking. times when it worked, and I think there are times when a more traditional shot would have been better. I I think. Uh, I, I think, yeah, as we're getting more and more into this sort of dream logic, I, I, I get it. And I think it works. I think the the second half of the movie, it works. Um, but the whole first half of the movie, before anything has even happened yet, it is so unappealing and frustrating to watch for me. Hmm. I just, to the point where I'm like, was there something screwed up with our version? Uh <laughs> Like it's so zoomed in and I just very upsetting. And I don't always notice cinematography. I think, I think a good cinematography, you're not always noticing it. And this one was just screaming. Look at me, look at me, look at me the whole time. And very frustrating. Yeah. I I mean, maybe an an argument could be made that the cinematography was, you know, fracturing the characters on purpose as a way of kind of uh, no. I, I think it absolutely doubling is that meaning. intended to do that. Yeah, but there's never even a moment of not that that like I, I get it, and it just to me it was way too heavy handed and very frustrating. But okay, I didn't I didn't have that problem. Um, I really like this movie for the most part. Um, I would say actually, I really liked every aspect of it, but that, which made it even more frustrating that I couldn't just like enjoy the movie. <laughs> um, I would say my only, my only thing is that I actually think Skarsgård might be a little too blank at, in, in the role. Like he's a little too cold. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I know I that there's that. a point to that because I mean, you know, for all the reasons I've already explicated, he's supposed to sort of be functionally uh, uninteresting as a person, uh, which is mm-hmm. why he finds some sort of ecstasy or or whatever in this process, in this group, until it sort of um, goes out of his control. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, there's times when, like, you know, people are just acting him off the frame, basically. Um, specifically Mia Goth, who I understand as a powerhouse, it's hard not to do that around her. Um, and the movie's asking her to turn it up all the way. And she does. And she's one of the few actresses in this era that I can think of who can go from this tiny little mousy, you know, pleasant British gal to full on hysterics and hold your attention like make that transition in the same movie for one and hold your attention yeah she's she's one of those people that is so good that i am absolutely terrified of her like as a person (laughs) because i'm i'm it's i mean if you've ever seen interviews with her she seems absolutely pleasant i'm sure she is (laughs) i'm sure she's just very good at her job but from (laughs) not having any kind of personal connection to her. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. I, I would like, say she like, I haven't seen somebody like that. Um, since a younger Helena Bonham Carter, um, sure. to make, to make a comparison. See, yeah. 
you know, she started out in those like uh, Merchant Ivory films doing like stiff upper lip costume dramas and then became Marla Singer. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I like the movie quite a bit. I'm giving it a B plus. Um, yeah, I can't think of much. I would, I would say against it only. Yeah. I guess like sometimes Skarsgård wasn't like the most interesting thing in the movie, but that's not necessarily a problem for, for the movie. Maybe it's a little slow to start too. Like uh, the first forty minutes yeah. or so, like maybe we could trim some of that up or get to it a little quicker. See, but, I, I don't necessarily. I don't know. I, I think. The, I mean, I think the pace for me, the pacing was fine. I think, yeah. um, uh, especially the kind of slow boil it's trying to do. I, I never felt bored, mm-hmm. um, e- even at the beginning. Um, I was always intrigued by it. Um, I, think I probably would have given this movie an A minus. Uh, the cinematography just not been so oppressive, but that's shifting it down a whole letter grade for me to a B minus. Okay, I mean that's still you know uh, I'd say in the realm of positive. Did you see any of the other movies by Brandon Cronenberg? He's only done two other features: Antiviral. I haven't. And Possessor. Um, and I know Possessor got a lot of buzz um, last year, the year before, but uh, and it has uh, Andrea Riseboro Rice, in it. Yeah, so maybe you know, make a point of seeing that at some point. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, my impression of this movie is still positive. I just it it's very frustrating when there's this one element that sticks out like a sore thumb to me. All right. Our streaming homework, which was the 2011 film Take Shelter. This was a movie I wanted to see back when it came out. Um, This is uh, written and directed by Jeff Nichols, who um, I've liked everything he'd done. Did a small movie with uh, Michael Shannon called Shotgun Stories, kind of modern Western, um, about... Family Revenge. Uh, he did the movie Mud uh, during the McConaissons. Um, and he also did the movie uh, Midnight Special, which I liked a whole lot. Hold um, up. Hold the fucking phone. Mm-hmm. He also did a series for Hank the Cowdog starring Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, I mean, I was talking about his film work mostly, but... I loved Hank the Cowdog as a kid. I don't. Think I want to know more about Hank the Cowdog. I'm guessing it's a reboot of that or something. Uh, it was a it was a book series. Okay, I don't know anything about. So Hank. these kind of like Western, sort of like Western pulp novels, but it you know it was about a dog on a farm. <laughs> I had no opinion about that. All I do know is that I he has the a- anime. The artwork looks terrible. But uh, <laughs> I'm just happy that there's more Hank the Cowdog content out there. There you go. Uh, all I knew really was that, um, you know, he, uh, he in the 2016, he released Midnight Special. And he also did the movie Loving about uh, the, uh, the, the famous court case that um, allowed miscegenation. And it's not made anything sense, apparently, except for Hank the Cowdog. Uh, but he has some stuff in the works. 
Um, this movie been involved with his true passion project. <laughs> uh, this movie stars Michael Shannon as Curtis, and his wife is played by Jessica Chastain. Um, her name is Samantha, and Curtis has been having these intense night terrors, these dreams, these visions of, you know, working out in the Ohio farms um, where he does drilling as his uh, primary job. And he notices a sort of oil-like rain and these very ominous dark clouds, thunderclouds clapping and birds in weird formation, etc. And each night... Uh, his dreams become more and more intense. Dreams of his dog attacking him. Dreams of his wife attacking him. Um, and he struggles to kind of find the emotional language to share this with the people in his life. He feels like he has to be the Steadrock provider and husband for this family. This also takes place a few years after the recession. And that's definitely... Part of what's happening in the subtext in the background of the movie. And he comes from a family history of, uh, you know, a mother who was diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia when he was very young. So he's he's worried that these visions, these night terrors uh, combined with sometimes some auditory hallucinations might be that. Um, or even more worrisome, he is experiencing actual visions of some sort of apocalypse nearing in the future, which uh, he becomes obsessed with the storm cellar that he wants to fix up and s- starts looking into things like gas masks and food supply and and taking out loans they can't afford to uh, build out this shelter in case the worst case scenario, which is an actual apocalypse. Yeah, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. Speaking of slow burns, this one is a very slow burn. Um, but there is a sort of a, a, a quiet intention to that. Mm-hmm. I actually found this movie to be a lot scarier than I think most horror movies that I've seen in the, the past little while, just because like, I don't know that concept of, you know, are you going crazy? Is this real? You know, like I, I feel like everybody, I don't know. I shouldn't probably shouldn't say everybody, but I feel like that those kind of intrusive thoughts um, must be pretty common, right? Like, you know, when there is there, or maybe I'm I'm uh, uh, diagnosing myself here on this podcast. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I don't have like apocalyptic visions, but just that idea of like believing in an, in something so much, mm-hmm. but it could just be it could just be in your head. You know, is it all in your head? You know, and that idea of being embarrassed by that and not wanting to share that, like I it. it just the the emotions of this movie, I felt like, were very relatable if the specific circumstance was less so. Um, I agree. I actually think um, this is one of the best movies I've seen, one of the best like character studies in recent times I've seen about 
generalized anxiety. Yeah. Even though yeah. the movie like is left open to interpretation of whether or not there is something supernatural happening or not. I think the feeling of the movie and the, certainly the message of the movie, because you, you know, we see these different s- sequences of Michael Shannon going out to talk to different therapists. And I mean, there's so much going on weaved into the story here that that isn't specific to the genre that uh, yeah. Jeff Nichols, this is why I love this writer director. I, in this movie, they discuss the anxiety, like the, like the, the general anxiety of people post a recession of pinching mm-hmm. their pennies, doing side hustles, you know, saving for vacations. These are not, very wealthy people, but they are people yeah, who are lucky to have. Thank God you have good insurance. Yeah, you counting on your insurance, uh, counting on your job for health insurance. You know these very middle American problems that are never ever talked about in most movies. Um, mm-hmm. You know this idea of like seeing counselors that are less qualified. But because they're nearby and cheaper than going to see or, the actual ones you might need who are further yeah, out. Yeah, or like, you know, going through that process of finding a counselor and kind of making it work, uh, even though it might not be exactly what you need. But then that person just gets replaced because that's it's not actually about any kind of personal connection. It's all just about... You know, it's just the medical system. It it uh, it isn't built to any kind of real personal interaction. It's it's yeah. You're everybody's just sort of a number in the the machine, and it does that without satirizing it or really address it. Like ever like stopping the the narrative flow to to explain that to the audience. It's just a given because of the circumstances of the plot. Like you, you Mm -hmm. pick all of this up off of context clues. I love the way that it talks about everyone kind of thinks of toxic masculinity as being like the worst stage of it, which is this sort of like, um, Andrew monster trucks and yeah. Uh, womenizing. Yeah. But, but there's also a, a, a very, being the victim of toxic masculinity as a man i would say this is this is more of an actual portrayal of what toxic masculinity actually is right because the other, he, the he's a person thing, who's struggling who can't talk about it with anybody because he doesn't there's no like cultural or emotional yeah. language for him to be able to have those conversations. The the type of toxic masculinity that I think, you know, culture has kind of made popular is a symptom of, of what he's going through, you know, like, right. Some men might go through it and, and overcorrect. Ultimately. Yeah. It's about not having the emotional tools to, to deal with a real crisis. Right. Oh, oh, and, you know, this feeling like, and I agree with you. This is, I think this is scary on two levels because it's kind of, for the character, it's scary either way. Either he's going insane 
slowly. Or and, the world's going to end. Or the world's yeah. going to end. Like, there, there's no good answer to this. Like, you know, he can get help, but and and hopefully that, you know, he's able to kind of find a, uh, something that can mediate that um, before yeah, it becomes too much better of a better option. Right, but 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 we already know that his options are limited at his age, and and certainly for his 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 income bracket. Well, and and also you know it is a it is a huge um, the the when you know when mental illness runs in your family, it, you're you're you tend to be more likely to develop it, and right. and it is a, in this particular case it is a huge character motivator because he didn't understand when when his mother left he didn't understand when he was because he was too young that it was this mental health crisis he just felt that abandonment that right. loss that and Which he doesn't swore want to, to himself that he didn't want to do that to his family so right. even if even if he is you know best case scenario he's going crazy you know that that's going to require him having to make this sacrifice of of this promise that he made to himself, right? Of, and not to mention, always his, being there. He has a special needs child who um, who's deaf essentially, and and could possibly have a procedure done, but it's going it very dependent on the stability of his job. Which you know, to start having these these issues, it's like the exact wrong time. Given yeah, well, everything ahead of them. So, and, and when you start to have, you know, when he starts to have these episodes, it, it, you know, it, and that's another thing I like about this movie. Um, like you were talking about about the subtlety of all these sort of uh, mundane disasters, right? Mm-hmm. Just that idea of like you can't leave sick. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't just. If you just start missing shifts, even if, you know, you're having a genuine medical crisis, you know, that your job is going to suffer for it. And right. and just sort of like how mundane it is, but also how scary it is when he, you know, has to have that conversation with his manager and just like that done in a way that's not satirical, uh, I think is very difficult to achieve. Yeah, and I mean a lot of this. I mean, I think everything's kind of working in harmony. The the direction, the pacing, the performances, um, the cinematography, uh, the tension that's built. Um, but really, and Michael Shannon is carrying a lot of this. And you know, I so, I think he's the yeah, type of actor where, unfortunately, his biggest like mainstream successes he usually plays these like over-the-top villains or these kind of bug-eyed loud performances yeah he can play intense very well like he you know he he, i think he's sort of i would say he i think he's sort of like this generation's christopher walken right where he can play these sort of big arch kind of villainy performances but this performance is so interior. Yeah. And so, but you, you know, and here's why it's, it's so fucking good, right? Is because you know everything this character is going through, but he, he can't say it. He yeah. doesn't say it. 
and it's not it's all all you have to read it is the expression on his face and his physical you know the way he holds his body and uh, right. the, the way he reacts to what someone says to him or or someone touching him or you know like it's so interior but also blasted for the audience to see it's it's right absolutely phenomenal performance he's bottling up like every sequence he's bottling up this torrent of emotions you can see you can almost kind of the only other performance i can think of that's kind of similar is heath ledger's performance on brokeback mountain where i think it's an interview with him where he he made that character choice of uh in brokeback mountain holds his mouth really tight lipped because he's it's like taking everything in him to hold everything in and and he here we see shannon kind of giving a similar performance where he's he's he wants to project strength and confidence and steadfast but inside he's totally broken yeah and it, and and that that strength is just making him weaker right it, it only hurting him also another thing about this movie that i think mm. is really cool is it it portrays you know again we were talking about those everyday sort of struggles and mm. anxieties um also you know like a, a big chunk that we haven't talked about is his marriage and yeah. how ideally in a marriage that's the one person you should be able to talk to right like that's mm-hmm. the one person who should be able to to make you stronger and again it, it sort of creates these circumstances of of the these sort of mundane fights these you know these casual annoyances that become big things that i i, I just think was portrayed in a, again a very realistic way and yeah. very um vulnerable yeah, yeah yeah for for both actors you know i i mean jessica chastain's character does isn't struggling the same way that michael shannon is um but she also has to she has to take this character's burdens upon herself and she plays that very real and very um and also very damaged you know and and to the point where her character has trouble talking to her friends about it and you know like just the way that the it's cyclical like just a really well thought out in terms of direction. It just felt very real. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it so sort of scary and and more disturbing, right? And instead of like a horror film with a capital H that's actively trying to scare you, this is actively trying to make you feel like this is real. And it is very good at that. And so that makes the the scary stuff that much scarier. Yeah, it does. I mean, there's an element to this while, you know, like I said, the it's left open to interpretation whether or not there is a supernatural element or not. And I I almost don't think that matters. Like I I think if you're spending most of your time trying to figure that out, you kind of don't get what the movie's going for. But Yeah. 
there is also sort of like a modern Noah kind of story here. Absolutely. Like, you know. Which is much better than the actual Noah movie that <laughs> Darren Aronofsky made uh, some number of years ago. Yeah, but I'm glad this wasn't called Noah, and I'm glad the character's name wasn't Noah. Like, the, the movie yeah. is is smarter than that. Yeah. Like, you can, you, if you, you can pick that up. Like, you know, it's a very middle America movie, so they talk about going to church and the small community rural kind of thing. There's elements of that, like, sort of a, a biblical element. Yeah, he's, he's building this... This thing to protect from a storm, even though everybody tells him he's crazy. You know, he's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, I would that's say definitely there. There's one scene that I felt pushes it a little too far, and it's you know the movie does its does its best to not ever go into histrionics, and there's this one sequence where. You know, we have this kind of explosion of emotions and this like big, loud fight occurs. And I didn't feel like the movie needed it um, or at least needed it the way it was portrayed. And maybe could have restaged that a little bit differently uh, because I felt like the movie's so good at doing subtlety that when it breaks from that, it's almost jarring. I I'm a little torn on this point because I I know exactly what you're talking about and I do I do kind of agree with you but I also think this is it's still a movie right. and I did appreciate this kind of movie moment and if nothing else for both the character and the audience at least it is a break of the tension mm-hmm. so I I think as a story maybe it's more necessary uh for the audience as some kind of relief. But uh, yeah, I I'm a little torn on that. Yeah, I it, it didn't if the movie had like completely shifted to that tone for the rest of it, then I would have really felt like they had lost something. But given yeah. that it's just it's just one scene where the character kind of cuts loose and and is a bit more Well, the 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 bottle gets opened a little bit. Right. And, and I think... And I think that's fairly common even for the most repressed people. There's a mo- Yeah, exactly. You'll have those moments where you can't contain it any longer. And it's usually where it shouldn't happen. Or directed at the people that you meant to direct it to. So it's not yeah. out of character. And it... But it, it's it was a little it, bit it, more telegraphed. The, and then all the other acting choices in the movie. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, but otherwise, I highly recommend this. Um, I I liked it a lot. I, I agree. I highly recommend it. I would just urge caution uh, that it is. It's very slow. It's very. I don't. I, and I don't mean that as like a, a boring. Like I don't think it's boring by any means. Um, but if you go into it expecting a certain type of thriller, it yeah. might be hard to kind of get into it. But there was a moment, uh, and it, it was one of the dream sequences, where I was like, oh, 
fuck. This is like The Shining. Like this is like <laughs> Shining good. I don't know. It, it's it's less theatrical than yeah. that, but and I would say less explicitly genre. Yes, yes, definitely. Um I there was just a moment where I was like getting these chills mm-hmm. and I think it's yeah. Uh so if if you're patient with it, I think this movie pays off in dividends. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you've already seen or liked other movies by Jeff Nichols, if you saw Midnight Special or Loving or or um uh Mud, I would say this is up there. And you know, I would have personally nominated uh Michael Shannon for this performance. I think oh, I agree. it's up and I he's done it's... a lot of great work. Um uh you know, I think of his role in Revolutionary Road and uh and a few other places, but this is uh up there. And um yeah. I, I know this is gonna sound really silly and it's not like the same same thing at all. Um but even a movie like uh, he has a cameo, uh, well, not a cameo. He's a small part in um, the night before the goofy stoner Christmas comedy. Um, oh, I didn't see that. And even to a, a movie like that, even to a, a role like that, he brings like this extra spice that you literally can't get it without him. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, he's a very capable actor. Um, I would personally like to see more on this side of, of what he can do. I, I agree. The first thing I ever saw him do was Shotgun Stories, which was like this tiny, tiny movie, this itty-bitty little thing. But I was, I've been enamored by him ever since. And so when he started doing like the wacky guy roles in stuff like the runaways or, or like man of steel, I was, there was always a part of me. that's like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad he's getting money and he's getting work and recognition, but this kind of isn't what I want to see. Yeah. This isn't what I know he can do and what I wanted to see him do. Yeah. Yeah. This is really good. Funny story before we finish out this uh, segment. I get done watching the movie, and I'm left very, just very emotionally rattled and also tense mm-hmm. just by the whole experience. You know, I'm still kind of taking it in, and it's not like it's a horror film in like the like classical sense of that word, but it it you know you should leave feeling a certain way. And I uh, go to take a shower, and <laughs> I. <laughs> I uh, run the um, the faucet, and for the first ten seconds, it's blood red water. Well, first of all, uh, <laughs> get your landlord to look at your pipes because that means your pipes are definitely rusted. But no, I that's know. Also hilarious. I know that, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a kind of weird, like, what is real moment for a second. <laughs> what? did you have for our next episode for the streaming? Our next episode uh, is going to be coming out uh, just in time for Valentine's day. So we wanted to do uh, a streaming homework for the lovers 
Uh, we are going to be streaming the original My Bloody Valentine, <laughs> uh, which is available on HBO Max. I'm yeah, I I'm like trying to steer us away from horror just because there was so much of it last year, and then you went and picked this. But yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it before and always meant to, so you know, Holy we'll do shit. it. Okay. Listen to the cast of Hank the Cowdog. <laughs> Hank is played by Matthew McConaughey. Drover is Jesse Plemons. Sally May, Kirsten Dunst. Sinister is played by Michael Shannon. Uh-huh. Uh, Rip, Joel Edgerton. Uh, Madam Moonshine is Cynthia Erivo. Junior is Scoop McNary. It's I'm- just like... What the fuck is this cartoon? That's How a, is it not? That's a, a stacked like a cast. I don't know. I I didn't know how real that was, or if I should even, or what it, the level of his involvement was. The artwork looks terrible. Yeah, so, it, it looks like Paw Patrol uh, like level. It looks worse than Paw Patrol. It looks like it looks like somebody trying to draw Paw Patrol but selling it at, like, a local art fair. (laughs) Right. Um, So if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics we talked about in this episode or previous, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at mcguffinpod. You can... Follow me at VC Cassidy on Instagram and Twitter. You can read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling Idaho State Journal movie reviews uh, and pulling up the arts and entertainment page where those reviews are archived. Um, Be sure to leave a five-star rating and a one-sentence review for the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or player.fm or whichever podcast app you use. And be sure to read the other reviews, lists, and articles by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Also, check out um, uh, my improv show, Improv vs. Stand-Up. Uh, we perform at Mockingbird Improv on Saturday nights. Um uh, yeah, you can also follow uh, that on Instagram at Improv versus Standup. All right, and that is the episode. So it looks like it was a podcast, Hank the Cowdog podcast. So that's why it the like it's not good animation because it's not animation. It's just the, like these shitty little thumbnails. <laughs> okay, is that how you want to end the show? I was looking for a Hank the Cowdog quote. Uh, <laughs> um, but I couldn't find one. So yeah. <laughs>